This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six. Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast, brought to you by 68 Fan, Dickie Broadcasting Company, and yada, yada, yada. You can check out all the other shows on thepodcastpark.com. But really, this is all we really need for you on this Thursday, as the Braves saved themselves some more of my wrath by salvaging a win in the final game of the series versus L.A. Drop the Spencer Strider start. Now, I know Tuesday was a very angry Dylan episode. It was kind of ranty. I'm not going to have that going on today. Today, we're going to try to keep it nice. We're going to try to keep it light. And um, we're going to have a lot of accolades for Bryce Elder. As, as I will admit, there is something about Bryce Elder being good that even just more so than just it's a Braves pitcher who's pitching really well just makes me very, very happy. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But I do want to point out, in Game 2, while the Braves did lose and got beat up, I believe that was the 8-1 to game is what that score ended up being. I wouldn't blame you if you turned that one off halfway through. Uh, you would, you could be confused into thinking Spencer Strider had kind of a bad start versus L.A. It's not really the case. This was a case where the Braves, who, weirdly enough, are the worst defensive team in all of Major League Baseball. I say weirdly, but it might not be so weird to some of you. Uh, that defense reared its ugly head and ruined a, a very good start for Spencer Strider. Now, Spencer... I wouldn't say he had his best stuff working. I, I, it certainly wasn't the best outing we've seen from him, but he was way, way better than the line would indicate. When you look at his line, it's six innings, it's five hits, it's four runs, but only two of those runs were earned. Three walks, one homer allowed, and 11 strikeouts. It was a nice performance against a lineup that's a pretty bad matchup for him. The Dodgers are, are one of those lineups that... I Maybe I shouldn't say maybe I shouldn't say bad matchup because you can get the Dodgers to swing and miss. They're a bad matchup in terms of pitch count. And for what it's worth, Spencer threw 104 pitches, 70 of those were strikes. He was on it. He was uh, he, he was being very efficient with his pitches. He got tons of strikeouts. And really, were it not for a couple of Matt Olson errors, one really big glaring Matt Olson error, Spencer only allows two runs. Now, Braves would have still lost that game because it turns out you have to score more than one run most of the time to win ball games. But you have a different look for Spencer, and it cost him a lot of pitches. It probably costed him an extra 14 or so pitches. Without that, he probably goes seven innings, and we're probably looking at a you know, 12, 13, maybe even 14 strikeout performance from Spencer Strider. But you can't go back and rechange things. You can't rehash. What happened happened, and it kind of is what it is. And that was kind of a down game. Uh, offense was not good in that game. It was just just a bad game all around. 
So the Braves turned to Bryce Elder yesterday looking to salvage the series and really put Bryce Elder's success this season to the test. Now, the story last year with Bryce, and he had a really, really good season last year, especially his second call-up towards the end of the season. The story on Bryce was the Braves were kind of hiding him a little bit. They, the only teams that he faced at the end of the season last year were the Marlins, one of the worst-hitting teams in baseball, and the Nationals, one of the other worst-hitting teams in baseball. This season, though, you can't have that same argument. He's faced off against pretty much anybody. I mean, Bryce Elder has faced some of the best lineups in baseball this year. So everything that you kind of look to do when you're discounting Bryce, it's not because of anything he's done on the mound. It's because we're all kind of conditioned as, as baseball fans at this point, wherever we get our numbers from and our stats from, about which numbers are important, which numbers show if you're a good pitcher or not. And when you see a guy like Bryce Elder, whose numbers don't generally jump off the page at you, we're kind of conditioned at this point to just kind of say, well, you know, it's just kind of lucky, and that luck's going to eventually run out. Now, I don't know if that luck is going to run out at some point. It could run out his next start. Who knows? But I think we're far past the point where we say that it's luck-based. When you look at what Elder has done all season long, He's been, I don't want to say the best, because I think Spencer has still been the best pitcher. I will say Bryce has been the single most consistent, though. Bryce has been the most consistent pitcher. He's been the most successful in terms of ERA, anyway. But more than that, because I do think Spencer might be the best pitcher in baseball. I think he's one of them, certainly. I think Bryce Elder has shown that what we all kind of thought he was before which was just one of these classic number five innings eaters. You know, if you can get out, he goes six innings, gives up four runs, then you're fine type of guys. I don't think you look at that and say that's the case anymore. When you look at Bryce, he's leading the National League in ERA right now. It's just over two. Bryce has been incredible. Now, when you look at the StatCast pages, it's going to make you think that it's entirely luck-based and that he's not really doing much of anything. And that it's, you know, at some point, this is all going to fall down. I don't buy that. I think this is a case of where we look at StatCast. And because we've been so trained and because it works out for a lot of guys who are really good, turns out a lot of their StatCast pages are really good, we kind of fall into this trap of thinking that StatCast or Fangraphs or whatever is infallible. Now, I'm, I'm an analytics-driven guy, so yeah, I, I look at all that stuff a lot. I take that stuff into heavy consideration. But the important thing that you have to remember is that it's not foolproof. There is no foolproof method to see who's a good player and why. And when you look at Bryce Elder and you look at, you look at his stat cast page, you're probably going to be one like I, I was a little bit for a little while. It just says he's just a guy that bucks the trend. He's just an anomaly that just manages to make it work. And even that, I don't really think that that's true. When I look at Bryce versus his StatCast page, one of the things you notice on StatCast pages is it's just telling you the type, the quality of the contact that's being given up. So how hard is the ball being hit? Based on that, how should you be performing? What should your ERA be? And things of that nature. We know that a ball that's hit 107 miles an hour is much more likely to be a hit than a ball that's hit 82 miles an hour. And that makes sense. But when you see a guy like Bryce who does give up hard contact, he's naturally going to be undervalued by things like StatCast. 
Well, what StatCast doesn't show, and, and why I think this isn't a case of Bryce being an anomaly, or you know he breaks StatCast or anything like that, I'm, the reason that I'm not surprised that Bryce Elder is pitching well is because it makes sense. When you look at Bryce and you look at what he throws, number one, his slider is maybe the best slider in baseball right now. Is it going to last as the best slider? I don't know. We'll see. But it's been the best in baseball right now, and he's actually throwing it more than any other pitch. He pairs that up with a sinker. He'll throw the four-seam occasionally, but he's primarily sinker-slider. He'll drop in a changeup every now and then, enough to keep hitters thinking about it and knowing that he will drop it in. He hits his spots very well and all that good stuff, all the things you need to do to be a good pitcher. The other aspect of this is the ground ball rate, where Bryce has a a ground ball rate over 55% right now. Coupled with that, the next stat for him is, is that his fly ball rate is the lowest of all of the outcomes of his pitches, of, of all of the types of contact. It's 55% uh, ground ball. I believe it is, I want to say, like around 25-ish percent for uh, 20, about 25% for, uh, for, for line drives. And then it's like 15% fly balls, if that. Like, like what he's doing the reason why I believe it's sustainable is it's it's that he's not getting beat up. And, and here I've got the numbers right here. Sorry, it was taking a second. Uh, 50, 55.4% ground ball, 24.3% line drive, 4.7% pop-up, and only 15.5% fly ball. That's down almost 7% from last season. And all that 7% basically went into ground ball. But what you're noticing on that is 70% of his contact is our balls that are not going to go out of the ballpark. It's why you look at it and yeah, he gave up a homer yesterday. He gave up a homer to Mookie Betts. I mean, that's, you know, it's Mookie Betts. He's given up four homers on the year. Three of those came in the same game to Miami. Like you're, you're not lifting the ball on him. All the things that you like about from Valdez. Now I'm not saying that Bryce is from Valdez or anything like that, but I'm just saying it shouldn't be a surprise that he pitches as well. He gives up a lot of hits. Uh, how, when, when I see the line of how many, how many games can a guy give up six, seven, eight hits and still walk away giving up two runs? How, how long can a guy who gets better when runners are in score, scoring position actually stay that way? And I think that's a misnomer. I don't think that it's that Bryce gets better when there's you know, more runners on base. I don't, at least I don't, think, I don't think that implication is correct. You're talking about a guy that... Over half of the at-bats, over half of the contact anyway, because let's say nothing for the strikeouts, but over half of the contact made against him is going to be on the ground. So, yeah, if you give up, and if, if you have two batters come up, first guy gets a hit, the next likeliest outcome is going to be a ground ball, which a ground ball in the infield with a runner on first, that's a double play. Now, we can get back-ordered if he gives up a line drive and there's a double, okay, but still looking at it, it's a better than 50-50 chance that the next batter is going to ground it, and that means it's a fair chance that the runner doesn't get over to third, or if he does, it kind of minimizes the damage there. What he does is sustainable. It's not the, the sexiest looking. It's not the, it's not the prettiest picture of a pitcher. Like, it's not Spencer where he's going to K, you know, 11 to 15. But it, it should not be so surprising that Bryce Elder is performing the way that he's performing. And I'm not saying this to say that I was on it before anybody else. I certainly wasn't. You know, I was very impressed with Bryce when I spoke with him before the season started. I like him a lot. I thought he did really good things last year. 
But I've said many times, my preference is for guys that don't need to rely on defenses to get their outs. If you wanted to pick a part on Elder, the easiest thing to do would, would be to say that so much of his game relies on Austin Riley making plays over at third base. And to his credit, Austin plays outstanding defense when Bryce Elder's on the mound. I mean, he made a couple incredible plays yesterday, including a diving play on a line drive and made a great pick on an in-between hop at third base. But, you know, if you're a professional, you're supposed to play good defense. And if you're Bryce Elder, you're supposed to trust your fielders. And if you're a guy that, that's getting the results that Bryce Elder's getting, now obviously results are the most important thing, but results are not always everything. You, the, the process, how you get to those results is very important as well. But for Bryce, I think we have this idea in mind that the regression monster is going to come and club him upside the head and he's going to turn into Matt Whistler. And I just, I don't think that that's going to happen to Bryce. I think when you have an outlook the way he has it and he does not allow balls in the air off of the bat, I think that that's a very sustainable method for success. It's, it's essentially, it's Tim Hudson. It's what Tim Hudson did his entire career. It's what Kyle Hendricks did for, you know, all of his career until he started throwing 84 instead of 88. Like, it works. And you heard on the broadcast last night, it was mentioned that Bryce Elder was talking to Mike Maddox this offseason because he wants to be more like Greg. Now, I will say, if there's a control pitcher uh, in baseball that you want to try to emulate, it's, it's Greg Maddox. Now, I'm not saying that Bryce is Greg Maddox or anything like that, but I certainly think you can make the case that I, I don't think there's a big difference between he and Tim Hudson. Now, obviously, Huddy did it a lot longer, and there's a lot that Bryce would need to do to continue being that. But when you look at guys like Tim Hudson or Kyle Hendricks, I absolutely think Bryce Elder could be those guys. I don't, I don't doubt Alex Anthopoulos when it comes to drafting anymore. Just because most people looked at a guy and saw a number five, I don't think you look at that and say, okay, well, that then he, he just, you know, he doesn't have a lot of potential. I think that was the case, but I think what we're seeing this year is. We all might have been way too low on Bryce Elder. I think the Braves might have found another top of the rotation arm in that 2020 draft. And I'm not saying that he's going to be top of the rotation because top of the rotation means top two. You've got Spencer Strider and you've got Max Reed. Those two are your top of the rotation arms. You'll have Kyle Wright come back. And based on what Kyle Wright did last year, that's another guy you could qualify as a top of the rotation type of caliber arm, even if he pitches in the three spot. Elder could pitch third, he could pitch fourth. But the talent there, while it's never going to give you a lot of the red dots on the sliders on StatCast, it works. And it, it, it doesn't just work. It's incredibly effective. You saw him go six innings last night, and it's just it, it's what he's able to do basically every start out there. He, he's very rarely are you seeing Bryce getting bounced in the fourth or fifth anymore. What was happening to him to him last year and at some points early this year, I think a lot of us forget that he's 24 years old and had did not have hardly any experience. I mean, it's not it's not common for a guy to be able to just jump in and, and all of a sudden pop out six innings every time out there. But you look at Bryce this year and he's had one, two, three, four, four starts where he's not made it a full six innings. Only one start where he has you know, not gotten into the sixth inning. I mean, he's done outstanding work all season. And even when you look at some of his game scores, like last night's game score against LA, it was only a 58. It wasn't great. It was tied for the same score he had against Baltimore. 
And that's because, you know, by the way, I should mention Bryce Elder last night against the Dodgers, which is a terrible matchup for him on paper. One walk, six strikeouts. It's the same line that he had against Seattle. It's an outstanding line for a guy like Bryce. It's an outstanding line for anybody. But you could argue now it's not the 11 strikeouts that Strider got, so the score will be higher for Strider because the FIPS are always going to be really high for Bryce. But I think at a point, you either kind of take those with a grain of salt when it comes to Bryce Elder, or you need to understand that the things that are most important to Bryce Elder being successful are not shown on those pages. And it's that ground ball percentage that is the most important thing for Bryce, but it's also the line drive percentage and the fly ball percentage. The fact that almost three quarters of the contact made against him are balls that have no chance to go out of the yard is a huge thing because it means that, you know, there's always a 50-50 chance that that runner is getting erased the very next batter. And now that he's got actual strikeout stuff working, don't get it twisted. Bryce Slider's a swing and miss slider. It's the best slider in baseball this year. It's got, was it a plus 17, I think? It's a, a or I should say minus 17 because StatCast does it backwards. But his slider is, is one of the best run value pitches in baseball, as, at least as far as sliders go. It's the number one slider in baseball this season. It's a minus 11. I'm sorry. Minus 11 on the slider for 2023. And that is, and that's a good thing. You want to be negative in your run value. That's how many runs you haven't allowed. Hitters are hitting 132 with a 171 slugging off of it and a 185 weighted on base average. And the expected numbers are higher, 200, 270 with a 240. But even that, I mean, it's by far his best pitch. And I think, I think that's one of the most important things when you look at him. The only two pitches he has that are not the that are not the correct values are the sinker and the four seamer. The sinker is at a positive two, which is not terrible, but not great. And the four seamer is at a positive one, which is, you know, closer to league average than anything. And that's because that four seamer has a 737 slug off of it and it has an expected 674. But he doesn't really use the four seamer quite as much. So it's not as good. It gets hard. It get hit it gets hit hard. And when you see Bryce, and one of the things I found very interesting when we talked to him before the season started is I talked about that slider during that interview. And he said, I, I brought up the fact that it has a lot of vertical drop on it. And I asked him, you know, if that's his swing and miss pitch. And he, and he kind of stopped me and said that that vertical drop, that wasn't intentional, that it, that he wasn't trying to do it, that it was kind of missed pitches when it was dropping like that. Well, this season, he's getting a lot of vertical drop and it's getting swing and miss. It's almost like he just, he, he accidentally found a better slider than he had. And that goes along with a curveball that he's got. It goes along with a very good changeup. His sinker gets tons of, mo- gets tons of mo- uh, motion and movement on it as well. He's got good stuff. It's not premium. And, and, and I think this is another area where, you know, we can get inundated with, with what we see in terms of velocity and the stuff that everybody's putting out there nowadays that I think we can we conflate velocity with stuff. And I don't think that that's always correct. Now, nothing is always correct, obviously. But I don't think that it's even as correct. It's similar to, to my thoughts on Ronald Acuna Jr. as an outfielder. And if you, you've been on my Twitter page at all, and you might have seen a, a long thread I was doing about Ronald Acuna and his defense uh, and about how, weirdly enough, people overrate 
range when it comes to overall defensive ability. And that's not to say that range isn't important. It is the, it is the largest component of what makes up your defense. But it's like a pie. So let's say 60% of that pie is range, and let's say 30% of it is uh, let, let's say 30% of it is arm, and let's say 10 or 30% of it is glove, and 10% of it is arm. Well, in the case of a guy like Ronald Acuna, because he has bad jumps and he gets bad reads on the ball, that range might be 40% instead of 60%. But his arm is 30% instead of 10%. So the averages are still the same. It still adds up to a pre to a really good defender. It's just not done in the typical way. It's the same thing when it comes to stuff. Velocity is a big component. Velocity is probably the biggest component because if you can throw 100, you can make mistakes and still get swings and misses regularly. If you throw 90, your margin of error is is not there. It is much, much smaller. But there are other things that you need for your stuff to be good, and that also entails not just getting swing and miss. That is the best of stuff. But when you're a major league pitcher, when you're any professional pitcher, any pitcher at all, the your goal for stuff is to get the outcome that you are trying to get. Now, if you're trying to get a ground ball and you get a ground ball, then your stuff was awesome. It got what you were trying to do. Even if you're, you know, if if you're just if you're looking to get outs, which is the most basic thing a pitcher can do, then as long as you're getting outs, that's fine. Now, then we'll add the qualifier where I want to get an out. Okay, now I want to get a ground ball out. Well, I got a I got a fly ball out to you know middle of left field. All right, well I got the out which I was looking for, but it didn't happen in the manner in which I wanted it. Now is that because I'm is that because I didn't execute the pitch correctly, or is that just because the hitter beat me, or is that just because the stuff wasn't good enough to get what I wanted to get? Those are all questions you have to ask. Now if your outlook is, okay, I want to get an out, I want to get a ground ball out. I want to get a ground ball out to the shortstop. And all of that happens. Sure, you might have only thrown a 90-mile-an-hour sinker, and you know the batter hit it 100 miles an hour. But if he hits it right at the shortstop, and all of a sudden you get the exact outcome you were looking to get, then your stuff did exactly what you wanted it to do. That's good stuff. This is just an era where, and I'm not, I'm not bagging on the analytical folks. You guys know me. You've listened to me for over two years now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the most analytical person at 680 to fan, and that's not going to change. I think analytics are great. I think it's what's led to this revolution in baseball. I think the reason we have such incredible talent in baseball right now is because analytics are so readily available and so easy for many people to apply. They're very easy to, to apply to your game and to use those to make the, your, your talent level and your talent base wider and bigger and better. And I think, I think it's great for baseball. I just think sometimes as a fan base, and it's not just a fan base thing, because it, it really is everybody. I think we get a little caught up in some of the craziness of it. And I think we get caught up in the results, even though analytics are supposed to be a process thing more than they're supposed to be a results thing. I think we can look at that, and I think sometimes we'll overweight the process part of it, and, and we'll ignore some of the results. And, and we'll say, all right, well, it didn't go. It, it it doesn't look the way that it's supposed to look, so it can't work. And this is this is my entire point of this. We keep saying that Elder broke that Elder just defies Statcast. I think what you're doing there is you're putting too much power into Statcast. 
And that's not to say that you shouldn't use StatCast and that you're not going to hear me using uh, any expected stats anymore. I'll, I'll continue using those. It doesn't mean you won't hear me using exit velocities and launch angles and things like that because those are all very important pieces. But it's important to note that it's not one size fits all, that there are multiple ways to be successful. And if there's multiple ways, that does mean that there are multiple more that you aren't considering. And that that StatCast, what, anything that you design that's newer or in its infancy or, or whatever, that's kind of geared towards a particular set of outcomes, is not going to be correct. It's not foolproof. There are a number of ways to mess with StatCast. But, and I think this is, I hope I'm explaining this well for you guys. Because I think... This is the most important point for me. It's not about StatCast being wrong about Bryce Elder. It's about Bryce Elder being very, very good in his own particular way. And it's a way that other people have been good at before. And it's not really captured well by StatCast, but that's not really the point. It's, it's not like saying that, that it's just that Bryce Elder just happens to be an exception to the StatCast rule. It's that you should not consider StatCast to be, I don't want to say you shouldn't consider it to be the rule, but kind of that's what you should be saying, is that you're, we're putting a little too much emphasis on StatCast to determine who is good and who is not good. And it's not, again, it's not a knock on StatCast. I use StatCast all the time. I use Fangraphs all the time. And that's not to say that the eye test is better. It's not. There's a reason why the analytics movement coincided with the fact that just a whole bunch of teams that used to just be okay or bad are all of a sudden really good. Like the reason why the Rays are good and aren't the laughing stock of Major League Baseball is because of analytics. The reason why you've got great players on every team is because of analytics. Like that, that is the reason it's not going anywhere. The reason why the Braves are as good as they are is because of analytics. So I don't want to take that away, but this is a big, but no one site, no one statistic captures everything in its essence and no, no visual stat page should on its own be taken as gospel. Now, Mike Petriello says that they're going to work on getting ground ball percentage incorporated in the stat cast. And, and for the sake of explaining Elder's stat cast page, ground ball percentage is very, very important. But again, beyond that, it's a simple case of there are a million different ways to be successful in this sport. Now, there's the easier way, which is being able to throw 100 miles an hour. The ease, And I, I think maybe I can word it this way. That, I think, is the best thing for StatCast. It helps you to point out what is the easiest pathway to success. And if you are a major league player or if you're a, a GM or a front office member or anybody in baseball, you want the easiest pathway to success possible. That's what you want because it is the easiest one to to uh, to, to actually put in, to implement, to put into place. It's the easiest one to replace and, and to kind of add in more. You can use those and figure out, okay, the pathway for him to be good is going to be easier than the pathway for this guy. But it 
does not take away from individual performances, and it does not take away the ability for a pitcher to go off and be just as successful in his own way. It won't capture it the same way, and that pitcher won't garner the same respect that he should, but it doesn't mean that he's any less good than the stat cast darling just because the way that he goes about it is different. I hope that explains it a little bit. Braves are going to start a, a, a set with the Phillies tonight, and I know I went way over just talking about Bryce Elder, but I feel like it's important to talk about that because Bryce deserves – and look, Bryce is not going to get much consideration for Player of the Month, uh, for Cy Young, or anything like that. He's not going to get a lot of consideration because he's not going to have the underlying metrics that, that prop those numbers up and really get you those awards. But he deserves to. And if he does this all year, if he pitches to a 207, or if he pitches to a sub-3 ERA this season, Bryce deserves way more league-wide attention than he's getting. I'm glad that Braves fans that are starting to notice him are. Uh, and, and Bryce is going to be imminently important. I don't know when we're going to get Max back. I kind of don't think it's going to be until the All-Star break. I, I really don't. We're close to June now, and... And, you know, he hasn't started throwing yet, so it's probably going to take about a month from the time he starts throwing, so probably right after the All-Star break. And I'll be honest, I'm not expecting to see Kyle Wright back this year at all. Now, if Kyle says he's a couple of months behind, you know, behind Max Freed, that's pushing into September. And I just don't think the Braves are going to worry about that. Now, the good news is there is help coming. Michael Soroka was outstanding in his last start, and that's two starts in a row now for Gwinnett where – Soroka has been great, and he's mixed up his pitches really well, gotten tons of strikeouts. Soroka all of a sudden has turned himself into a swing and miss artist in, 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 at AAA. Now, is it going to be sustainable at the big league level? I don't know, but his slider, his curveball, they're all getting swings and misses. His fastball's sitting parked 93 to 95. Sinker's 92 to 94. He, he's doing great work. And I'm going to be honest, it's time. Dylan Dodd is going to get the start tonight against Philadelphia, and Philadelphia has not been great. Trey Turner has has been one of the major disappointments in baseball so far this season, but never doubt Trey Turner's ability to crush the Braves. Now, I've said this before. I'm not that worried about Philadelphia. I'm really not. I don't think they have the staying power, and that's not just because I'm salty that they beat the Braves last year in the, uh, in the uh, NLDS, or NLDS, I'm sorry, that they knocked the Braves out of the postseason. That was good for them. Seriously, good for them. They did what they needed to do. I think the Braves were just emptied out. I don't think they had anything left in the tank after, you know, fighting back and taking it from the Mets. And you're going to get a tough matchup tonight. Aaron Nola, while, you know, he's got a 4-3-1 ERA right now, we know how good Aaron Nola can be. And now you look at Dylan Dodd, I think this is an important night for Dylan Dodd. We saw Jared Schuster and his second guy, his second start again in his second call-up, continued pitching extremely, extremely well. And he's done it by not nibbling, being aggressive, and kind of changing the way that he was approaching attacking hitters. And for Dodd, I think you need to see the same thing. I'm not asking for him to go six shutout or anything like that. Give me five innings and three runs allowed. Same thing that I'm looking at for Schuster. Give me enough to say that you left the position, you left the game in position for the Braves to win it. And I'm more than happy with that. And for Dodd, for what it's worth, Dodd's not going to walk people. Command is not an issue for him typically. Now, he's kind of been struggling with it in Gwinnett a little bit, but I think he's working on his sequencing. And I think you might see his numbers go kind of up and down and up and down, but I think what you're seeing from Dodd is I think you're seeing him try to find that happy medium between throwing strikes and throwing too many strikes 
and that's a, that's a hard line to find. But we'll see. It's a good opportunity for Dodd, and for what it's worth, I think Soroka, I think we'll see him up very soon. If it's not on the 29th in that first game of the Oakland series, I think it's going to be soon, and I think once Soroka comes up, and this is part of this, I'll, I'll be very honest with you, part of this is just because I want this to be true. I think Soroka is the type of guy that elevates his game. I think when he has a better defense in Atlanta, I think he'll stay there. I think he'll pitch extremely well. I think he's going to do what needs to be done, and I think Soroka is going to be back. Now, interestingly enough, do I think he's going to be the, – the more interesting question for me now is where is he out on this pitching staff? Because if you just saw 2019, you would say he was probably the best pitcher on the staff. Even back then, I thought Max was higher than him. I think Strider is clearly the best of the bunch of all the Braves guys. I think you can make a real case that Elder, Elder and Soroka are extremely similar. And that sounds wild, and it sounds like you're downing Soroka just because of where the hype was on him. But I think it's more a mark of how undervalued Bryce Elder really is more than it says about Michael Soroka. Now, we'll see with Soroka. When he comes up, if he looks just like Soroka or looks just like Wainwright, which is who I think Soroka has always reminded me of anyway, then I think the Braves are in great position because they need to figure out some things with the bullpen. I'd like to see the offense be a little bit more consistent. But for now, I'm going to leave this off on happy episode talk. And Bryce Elder, exceptional pitcher. Could he fall down and stumble and get hit around? Sure. But at this point in time, if you're predicting him to get bashed in the head and, and pitch to his underlying numbers, I think at this point you're the person who probably needs a wake-up call, and I think you're the person who's being a little bit too stubborn at this point. So great for Bryce Elder. Good job on the Braves for scratching out a win uh, in Game 3. Looking forward to them beating up on Philadelphia. That's going to do it for me today. Uh, make sure you tune in to 680 The Fan Saturday morning from 9 to 11. 643 will be on on Saturday. We'll, we'll probably have this same discussion with Bryce Elder. I'll talk more about Michael Soroka and what I'm expecting to see from there. We'll analyze Dylan Dodd's start. We'll talk about Ronald Acuna and some of the other guys around the team who are either really, really heating up or guys that I think could heat up very, very quickly in short order. We'll talk about all that and more. Thank you guys for listening today. That'll do it for the 643 Podcast. That's all, folks. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan Wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.